Welcome to the Path to Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Wes Barefoot, where it's my mission to help aspiring entrepreneurs and existing business owners take control of their lives and create freedom for themselves through business ownership. Each episode, I'll be exploring the strategies and tactics of other successful entrepreneurs that have created freedom in their own lives while sharing what I'm learning along my own path to freedom. I'm glad you're here. Let's drop in. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode on the Path to Freedom podcast. Um, Today, it's just me, a little solo episode. You know, I've I've put out some, some episodes recently, I guess, just sharing a little more of our personal story when it comes to franchise ownership. And, you know, my hope is that this will be valuable to, you know, those listening that are considering business ownership, you know, franchise or not. Um, you know, the last episode was, you know, sharing some of the mistakes that we made when we were, you know, starting our second franchise business and doing that with a a full-time manager from day one. And so, you know, I wanted to share a story today about how my wife and I got into our first franchise business because, you know, we were relatively young and, and early in our careers. I think my wife was 26 or 27 and you know, I was like 29 when when we were starting our first franchise. And, you know, being that early in our careers, we didn't have a whole lot of financial resources. You know, we had some money saved up. We'd been making decent money, you know, in the the jobs that we'd had up to that point. But we weren't really in a position so that, you know, a lot of different business or, or franchise opportunities were viable for us. You know, if it came down to us, coming up with all of the capital ourselves. And so, you know, really just wanted to share a little bit about how we were able to make that happen. It's, you know, I guess what I would consider kind of a, a non-traditional, you know, way of of getting into a business. But, you know, I get asked by essentially everyone I talk to about the prospect of owning a franchise uh, you know, funding related questions. And it's obviously a big component of you know, whether or not starting a business or a franchise is going to make sense for someone is, you know, are they in a financial position to do so? And so I've talked, you know, many times on the podcast before and and had guests that, you know, kind of specialize in funding solutions specifically for franchise investments. So there's quite a few options out there. And I'll quickly just kind of run through them as as a recap. But you know, SBA loans are, are a very common way in which people fund franchise businesses and, and the SBA and, and banks that, you know, work with the SBA tend to really like doing loans for franchise businesses because of, you know, the proven business model that's there with the franchise. And, and like always, you know, I'll preface that by saying, you know, with good franchise businesses. Um, but there's data, there's a track record, right? The the franchise is able to, you know, publish, uh, you know, usually examples of how their existing franchisees are doing from a 
financial standpoint. So, you know, bank, banks tend to look at franchise businesses as less risky loans, especially if it is a good proven franchise. Uh, so that's a very common way, right? But like with any type of loan, the borrower has to be financially qualified. Uh, they're looking at credit score. They're looking at uh, things like net worth. They're looking at you know how how much liquid assets the the borrower has. And so, you know, not everyone is going to be in a position where they would qualify for an SBA loan. And you know, the the SBA is not going to fund one hundred percent of a franchise investment. You know, they are going to look for the borrower to put some skin in the game or or what they call a cash injection. And, you know, it varies uh, depending on the the borrower. It varies depending on the amount of, of a loan that they would need or, or the total capital requirements for the business. But a, a good rule of thumb there is, you know, the borrower would need to, to be prepared to inject about 20 percent of the total capital requirements of their their own money into the loan. So that can be a really, really good option for many people. But, you know, like my wife and I, when we were, you know, in our late 20s thinking about starting a business, we we weren't really in a position to to qualify for an SBA loan. And and if we would have been, it would have, you know, really kind of limited the the options that could have made sense for us because you know, we just wouldn't have been able to qualify or, or have the cash on hand to do, you know, a loan, you know, much, much higher than, you know, probably $100,000 at the time. So um, SBA loan, great option for a lot of people. Um, there, There's another very common, you know, funding strategy out there that I see people use sometimes in conjunction with an SBA loan, sometimes instead of an SBA loan or taking on any sort of debt. And that's what's called a ROBS, uh, R-O-B-S. It's an acronym. It stands for Rollover for Business Startups. And that's a, a method where one can actually tap into retirement funds. So 401k, IRA, they can roll a portion of those funds. They don't have to access all of their retirement funds. Um, and they can use that for the purposes of starting a business. And when that is done correctly, the the owner of the retirement accounts does not get penalized from a tax standpoint the way you typically would be penalized for accessing those retirement funds early. Um, so that's an option that can make a lot of sense for people. You know, I usually see people either get really excited about that option because a, a lot of times it prevents them from having to take out a loan or it you know reduces the amount that they may need for a loan. Uh, or even, uh, you know, just keeps them from having to tap into cash or savings that they have on hand for, you know, their cash injection for the loan. I see other people cringe at the thought of touching retirement funds, um, and they would never dream of doing that, and they would rather take out a loan or use someone else's money. So a lot of that's just kind of personal preference, but that is an option that's used very commonly with franchising, I've seen people use uh, home equity lines of credit as a portion or all of their funding strategy. Um, I've seen people take non-retirement investment accounts, accounts like a stock portfolio, where a lot of times you can, you know, pretty quickly get a line of credit with your portfolio manager uh, against the value of that that 
stock portfolio. That's another way I've seen people do it. Um, but you know what I really want to focus on today is is to the people out there that may not yet be in a financial position where some of the more traditional funding options are going to make sense for them. So the the person that might be earlier in their career or or just you know hasn't yet gotten to a financial position where they're going to be able to qualify for an SBA loan or you know they have money stashed away in a 401k. Uh, the other thing I'll I'll mention on the Robs, not to get too into the weeds on this, and and I'll link a, a an episode that that I did a while back with Fran Fund, which is the the funding consultancy that I work with, um, where Shirley Kefchian, who's the the VP of development over there, she's phenomenal. She she goes into a lot more detail on this, but in order to to be able to leverage retirement funds, they have to be from a previous employer. So that option may not be on the table for someone that's currently working for the employer that, you know, most of the retirement funds have been contributed through uh, and plans to continue working for that employer while they're launching a, a franchise business. So did just want to point that out. But you know, for for those listening that you know like the idea of business ownership, have thought about it, it excites them. They see it being something that you know they really want to do. But the roadblock has been, you know, how do I get the funding? How do I get the capital that I need? There can be you know some non traditional ways as well. So that's where our, you know the idea to share a little bit of how my wife and I, Kelly, got into our first franchise business. I've seen other people use very similar uh, strategies. I've worked with people that have used these types of strategies. And that's, you know, essentially going out and find finding someone to invest in you and in the business. Or, you know, it could be as simple as someone to give you a personal loan. All right. So in, in our instance, you know, I had, this is 2000 and uh 18 when when we started our first franchise business or first became franchisees uh with shelf gene uh we still own that franchise today we are you know in our fifth year of operation uh last week i was just out in denver with the whole family we went to the annual shelf genie convention and you know my wife was recognized as the franchisee of the year for 2022 um, so we got to get up on stage with the whole family and receive a, a trophy. And, you know, this brand Shelf Genie is now owned by a larger parent company called Neighborly. They own 20 plus franchise brands in, in the home service space here in the U.S. And, you know, each brand has a, a franchisee of the year that's selected. So it's really a big deal. And uh, it was a lot of fun for us to to go and take the kids and and dress up and and get to go up on stage and uh, and get this award. And it really is my my wife's award because while we're both owners of the business, you know, she's been the driver and the builder of that business since day one. I've really just been you know kind of in the background supporting her. And so just wanted to point that out. Uh, very very proud of of Kelly and. Um, man, it was a lot of fun, you know, having the kids be, be a part of that too. So anyways, um, 2018 is when we're, we're kind of, you know, 
really getting serious about the idea of getting into business for ourselves. At this point, I had been working in franchising for, you know, probably four or five years. Um, the the first franchise company that I'd worked for was a, a company called 101 Mobility. And, and that's where I cut my teeth in franchising. That's where I, I learned a lot of, you know, what helped me continue to, to grow, you know, my career in franchising. And, and one of the things I did there was franchise sales and development for 101 Mobility. So I was talking to people all over the country that were looking for different business opportunities and were exploring different franchise opportunities. And so, um, that opened the door for me to actually get recruited to go work for Shelf Genie at the franchisor level and take over their franchise sales and development. So at the time, Kelly and I started really getting serious about business ownership. I had been working for Shelf Genie for probably about a year. Uh, in a franchise development, franchise sales capacity. So I developed a really thorough understanding of the business model and what it took to be successful as a franchise owner with Shelf Genie. I'd helped other people get into the business. And, you know, so naturally with me, you know, being in franchising for a while, learning about franchising, seeing other people go on to be successful as franchise business owners. Uh, it was something Kelly and I had started talking about, but the catalyst for really getting serious about, you know, going into business for ourselves was uh, Kelly's company that she was working for at the time, which was a large pharmaceutical company, uh, laid off about 50% of their sales force in the U.S., and Kelly was included in that layoff. And it just so happened that when the layoffs got announced, Kelly was out on maternity leave with our first daughter, Mackenzie, uh, who is um, almost seven now. So the layoff happened a little while before we actually ended up becoming Shelf Genie franchisees, but that was really what what got us seriously talking, you know, we had kicked some ideas around, we had, you know, played around a little bit with, you know, selling stuff on Amazon and and little e-commerce businesses. And I think that really, you know, kind of sparked a little bit of a fire for us, but we never, you know, really made any, any real money doing any of that. And, and it, you know, looking back on it, it's, it's clearly a blessing the way that things played out the way that they did but it was scary as hell at the time, right? I mean, you know, we're under a year into, uh, well, when we started the franchise, we were, you know, our, our daughter was probably a little over a year old, right? So uh, still new parents. When she got laid off, I mean, our daughter was like six weeks old. I, I forget exactly how long Kelly's maternity leave was supposed to be. I know the layoffs got announced at the tail end of that maternity leave. Uh, so, you know, brand new parents. And I also remember Kelly and I having a lot of conversations and she was really, really anxious or or just not excited about the idea of going back to work full time in pharmaceutical cells where she was on the road a lot, early mornings, late nights. You know, I was working, traveling a lot. 
And, you know, essentially we would have had to put our daughter in daycare full time. And, you know, I understand a lot of people do that and, and that's perfectly fine for us. It wasn't something that, you know, we were really thrilled about and particularly Kelly. And it was really, really, I think causing a lot of stress for her. And so while in some ways it was a punch in the gut to find out that her position with the company had been eliminated. Um, but I think there was some relief there as well. And, and thankfully, you know, she got a little bit of a severance package because she'd been with the company for a few years at that point. It wasn't all that much of a severance package. It didn't, you know, pay her for a year or anything like that. But I think, you know, maybe three or four months or so was, was kind of what, uh, she got paid for through that severance package once the the layoffs were announced. So anyways, that's when we started getting serious. Right. And, and, you know, I, like I said, been in franchising for a while, selling franchises, helping people get into franchises. So I had an understanding of the, the funding options that were out there. And I had a good enough understanding to know that most of them probably weren't going to make sense for us, given where we were at at that time. Um, the the shelf genie business model was intriguing to us for a number of reasons you know one if you look at the spectrum of investment ranges that different types of franchises will require a business like shelf genie is going to be on the lower end of that it's service based it's a very low overhead business especially when you're just getting it started so you know i i mentioned that just to point out that you know, something like Shelf Genie, our first franchise did not require nearly as much capital to start and and to begin operating as many, many other types of franchise businesses out there. But nonetheless, we still weren't really in a financial position where, you know, we were going to be able to swing it on our own. So I started getting creative. I started reaching out to you know, some mentors, uh, people that I looked up to and and just picking their brains to see, hey, how might we be able to do this? Because again, I've learned enough about Shelf Genie to know that it could be a really, really successful business. I've learned enough to know, you know, what the owner in a franchise like that really needs to do and really needs to excel at in order to be successful. And I knew that, Kelly would do really, really well in that type of business. And so, and it was familiar to us, right? I mean, you know, we kicked around a, a few other options in terms of different brands and stuff, but kept coming back to Shelf Genie. And unfortunately, it just so worked out that the area that we live in, Wilmington, North Carolina, and also Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, were still available territories for Shelf Genie. So, um, you know, really the point of what I'm getting at was instead of giving up and saying, you know what, we need to, you know, really just focus on saving for a few more years or, you know, business ownership is not for us because we're just not in a position to get the funding that we need. Um, I, I got creative and I really started just reaching out to people and asking a lot of questions and and learning what I could about, you know, what are other ways that, you know, people have been able to start businesses without, the capital. So essentially what Kelly and I were able to do was we were able to become shelf genie franchisees without investing any of our own money. All right. And here's how we did that. As I'm talking to different friends and mentors that I'd met over the years, one of the people that I was, was talking to and, and asking questions 
a guy named Luke Sampson, uh, and he was one of the original founders of 101 Mobility, the first franchise brand that I worked for. And Luke is actually the one that hired me at 101 Mobility. And in the time between when Luke had hired me and when I went to work for Shelf Genie, 101 Mobility had sold to a private equity firm, which is fairly common in franchising, especially over the last five or six years. Private equity has gotten really, really interested in, in buying and owning franchise organizations that have a lot of growth trajectory ahead of them. So uh, not too long after 101 Mobility had sold Luke and and the other partners and founders exited 101 Mobility. And and that was good for Luke, right? I mean, he, you know, he made some money in the process, but you know, not really enough to be at a point where he was done working or didn't need to continue to generate income. And part of the deal that that was structured with that was that the the big payoff for the founders was going to come years later when that private equity firm turned around and sold the business again. So, you know, he didn't get like this windfall of life-changing money to where he was never going to have to work again. And the only reason I bring that up was because, you know, he was in a similar position as us in terms of thinking, you know, what's next? What am I going to get into next that's going to generate some income? You know, Luke's a little bit older than than we are. You know, he was probably in his you know, mid to late forties at this time. And, you know, he'd worked really, really hard over his career and and done fairly well for himself. So he wasn't crazy about the idea of going and starting another business where he was going to have to, you know, really jump in and and grind on a daily basis and, and be very hands-on, you know, so the position he was in was almost the exact opposite of the position we were in. He had some financial resources, Right. And he really, really valued his time. Whereas on our side, Kelly in particularly had time. Right. But we didn't have the financial resources. And and that's what really made this turn out to be a good match. And so as I'm talking to different people, uh, Luke starts telling me that there's a one-on-one mobility franchisee in Charlotte, North Carolina that you know had had always done okay with the business but you know 3 4 years into it wasn't really excited about it anymore it had you know some opportunities to go back to work and you know the the industry that that he had been in prior to that and so you know Luke mentions to me that he's considering buying out this 101 mobility franchisee and i remember asking like were you going to move to charlotte to run it and he's like no uh he's like i'm going to hire <clears throat> someone this is someone that he knew and, you know, had some experience in that specific business, but he's like, I'm going to hire her. I'm going to give her some equity and I'm going to put her uh, in place as a full-time general manager. And she's going to run the day to day and she's going to make a salary. But in addition to that, she's going to own a piece of the company. And so, you know, if we start making money, she will get paid as an owner proportionate to, you know, the amount of equity that she has in the business. And that's when, like a light bulb went off in my head. And I was like, dude, do you want to do something like that here in Wilmington too? 
So we started talking and, and, you know, he and I had kept in touch since I went to work for shelf genie and, and he'd really, you know, become not only a friend, but, but also a mentor. And, uh, you know, so I start telling him more about shelf genie and we start looking at, you know, not only the investment, but also the business and, and what we call the unit economics. And, you know, I start sharing some information from the franchise disclosure document with them in terms of how some of the other, you know, franchisees are doing. And, you know, some of them had built really, really large businesses at that point. And so, you know, he kind of got excited about it. Again, he's not, he was not looking for anything where he was going to have to play an active role in the day to day. Okay. So, what we ended up doing was, and I think I said earlier that we didn't put in, you know, any of our money in the beginning, which we didn't. But what we really did, Kelly and I, was put in the the sweat equity. All right. So Luke funded a hundred percent of the business, and the the structure was that Kelly would be the full time owner operator of the business. I'm still working full-time for Shelf Genie at this point. So when we first became franchisees, I still had a full-time job. And and so it it and that's where I go back to what I said earlier when I was talking about how proud I am of Kelly for this award that she got. She really is the one that's built this business and and turned it into what it is today. So the deal that we arranged was the three of us, Luke, Kelly, myself, all owners in the business, even though Luke funded 100% of it up front. All right. But then we had a separate operating agreement, which we still have today, separate from the franchise agreement that we all signed. And that operating agreement specified the structure of the business from an ownership standpoint but also from you know what we call a distribution rights standpoint okay so ownership is 50-50 50% to Luke 50% to to Kelly and I combined um but ownership does not necessarily have to dictate dictate how the owners get paid and how much the owners get paid so in addition to that we had a distribution rights schedule okay and differently from how luke did this with his franchise in charlotte where again he put up all of the money but he hired someone to work in the business for him and give a little bit of equity to um you know kelly and i knew that you know we we wanted to be more than just kind of employees with a little bit of a, a profit share type of opportunity. So there was no salary in our instance. So in other words, while Kelly was in the business all day, every day, full time in the very beginning, grinding very, very hard, she wasn't on a salary. She wasn't guaranteed any income. All right. But this distribution rights schedule that we had agreed on, you know, obviously in the beginning, just like any investor, Luke's number one goal was to get his money back right to start earning back the money that he had invested and so what we had agreed on was luke would get 75 percent of any distributions that we took from the business and we would get 25 percent and we had agreed upon 
certain revenue milestones that were also tied to profitability. And all of that was tied to us keeping track of how much of the initial investment Luke was recouping. Okay. And we came up with these revenue and profitability goals based on, you know, the research that we had done in the franchise and looking at, you know, the franchise disclosure document of, you know, what other franchisees had been able to do in Shelf Genie from a financial performance standpoint. So we weren't just shooting in the dark. We had what I, I think were some pretty realistic targets. And so the reason we had these targets was once we hit the first milestone, revenue, right? That was a certain revenue. I forget off the top of my head what it was, but I, I want to say it was like 500,000 in, in you know, a 12-month period. Uh, but we also had to maintain a certain profit margin. I think in our case, it was 20%, right? So if Kelly was running the business and growing the revenue, but not doing a great job controlling costs and our, our profit margin was only, you know, 15%, that wouldn't qualify us to, to shift the distribution rights because that's what this whole schedule is about. So we hit the first milestone revenue, also maintaining the, the minimum profit margin or exceeding it, then the distribution rights shifted to 50% to Luke and 50% to Kelly and I, right? And, and what a distribution is, is simply, you know, one way that business owners can pay themselves. So business owners can pay themselves a salary, right? We, we did not do that uh, in the beginning with Shelf Genie. Luke didn't have a salary. Kelly or I didn't have a salary. You know, we would essentially just you know, look at the books after each month, see how much revenue came in, what our expenses were, how much profit, you know, there is. Obviously, we're looking at how much money's in the bank. We're looking at, you know, are there any big bills coming up that, you know, we need to to make sure we have cash on hand for? And we would just kind of make a decision together. Hey, do we feel like we can pull out any money to pay ourselves this month? And in the beginning, those distributions were, far less frequent than they are now, you know, five plus years into a, a pretty established business. If you're listening to this podcast, then there's a good chance that you're looking to create more freedom in your own life. There's also a good chance that you realize that owning your own business can be a great way to take more control of your livelihood and create more of that freedom that we're all looking for. Also, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you realize that I specialize in franchise ownership. In addition to owning franchise businesses myself, I have a franchise consulting firm, Path to Freedom, where I help people navigate what is typically an overwhelming process of understanding franchising, identifying specific franchise companies that could be a fit, and then conducting the due diligence in a thorough and efficient manner with those franchise brands. My whole purpose here is to leverage my experience working for franchisors, owning franchises myself, and how we've been able to use that to create more freedom in our lives and help you determine if that could be a path that makes sense for you as well. So if any of this sounds interesting, if you've considered business ownership in the past, whether you've explored franchising specifically or not, I'd love to connect with you. I'd love to learn more about you and what it is that you're working towards in your life and determine if I may be in a position to help. A great starting point 
is the link below in the show notes, which will take you to a short form to fill out and you'll receive a free copy of an ebook that I've put together, The Seven Steps to Freedom Through Franchise Ownership. That'll also get us connected and I'd love to set up an introductory call where I can explain a little bit more about the process that I use to help people determine if franchise ownership could be a great way to start charting their own path to freedom. So click the link below in the show notes, receive the ebook, and let's get connected. I'd love to hear from you. That's how Luke started to recoup his initial investment. That's how you know, Kelly and I started to generate some income for the business. And so there were basically two of these milestones that that we had laid out that were, again, tied to revenue as well as profitability. And once we hit the second one, then it shifted to 75% of the distribution rights to us and 25% to Luke. And that's where it stayed. Okay. And, you know, in this particular instance, Luke was able to, to, see his entire investment returned to him in under nine months, which also means Kelly and I were able to get to the point where we were getting 75% of the distribution rights in under nine months. It, it was under a year for sure. It may not have been nine months exactly, but it was inside of a year, the first 12 months that we were operating the business. And then of course the business has continued to grow distributions have become far more frequent, you know, basically, you know, every single month we're able to pull some money out of the business to pay ourselves. And so, you know, this has really turned out to be a win-win because, you know, today we do, you know, almost if not over $2 million a year in revenue. It's a very profitable business for us. You know, Luke has probably, you know, gotten his investment back four times, at this point. Uh, so it's proven to be a great investment for him, but it's also been phenomenal for us. It's given us everything that, you know, we were hoping we would get out of business ownership. It's given us great experience, but, you know, at this point, that business generates far more income for, for Kelly and I in our household than, you know, she would have ever made in pharmaceutical sales or that I would have ever made, you know, continuing to work as an employee, uh, you know, even for a franchisor. So, you know, it's it's now given us experience, financial resources that helped us springboard into, you know, our next opportunities, right? So we got into a second franchise business uh, about three years ago. And we were able to do that for a couple of reasons. One, we had experience. We built confidence, right? The success that we had had in Shelf Genie really helped us build confidence in ourselves and our ability to execute and, and build a profitable business um, and, and the financial resources, right? Now we had some money, right? And, and that's why we started our, our franchise our second franchise business with a full-time manager. And I'll back up because, you know, all of this, us becoming Shelf Genie franchise owners, us getting to the point where that business was generating good, steady income for us also put me in a position where I could then, you know, resign where I was a W-2 employee for, for Shelf Genie at the franchisor level. I could resign and I could start Path to Freedom my consulting firm, 
which has really been my full-time focus for the last three and a half, you know, coming up on four years. So relatively quickly, you know, even though we don't own a hundred percent of our shelf genie franchise and, and won't, unless we were to, you know, buy Luke out at some point, um, even though we don't own a hundred percent, it's, it's really helped to catapult, you know, Kelly and I in, in a direction that I truly believe, you know, working for other people as employees would have never, never given us the opportunity for it's opened up a lot of doors. So, and I want to make it clear, like, I don't, I don't share any of this in like a bragging way. Uh, look, there's a lot, a lot of people out there that are so much further ahead of, of where we are. There's a lot of franchise owners, a lot of business owners that have built far larger businesses that we have. We've made a lot of mistakes along the way. Uh, go listen to the last solo episode I put out where the whole damn episode is pretty much about, you know, me sharing mistakes that we've made. And, and there's plenty more where that came from. So, you know, none of this is coming from a place of, you know, look what we've done. I, I'm really just trying to, I guess, illustrate to people and, and share through our personal examples of where, you know, if there's a will, a lot, most of the time there's going to be a way and it doesn't have to be perfect, right? I think a lot of people, and I remember, you know, Kelly and I even kind of having some of these same thoughts and conversations like, yeah, this could work, but God, you know, we're not going to own a hundred percent of it. Wouldn't it really be nice to own a hundred percent? And going forward, we will want to own a hundred percent of, of our businesses. Right. But that was the opportunity that we had in front of us. Right. And it wasn't perfect, but it was a start and it's been a springboard for us opened up doors for us. We've learned a lot. We started building more financial resources, got us to the point where we were in a much more similar position to where Luke was when we originally partnered to him, meaning we had a lot more financial resources, but we didn't have as much time, right? So I think I started to make this point earlier. That's why with our second franchise, because at this point we had Shelf Genie, you know, seven figure plus business with a, a team and and growing every day. And, you know, that was Kelly's full-time focus uh, path to freedom, my, my consulting firm and the podcast and everything that kind of falls under that umbrella, my full-time focus, right? All of that generating far greater financial resources for us than, you know, we, we were generating when we worked for other people, Love the idea of getting into another business, creating another income stream, building an asset that we could potentially sell. We didn't have the time, right? So, you know, we knew we needed to to start another business where we could hire someone to run that. And the way we did that was very similar to how Luke set up his 101 Mobility franchise investment in Charlotte that I referenced earlier. We hired a manager, we put him on a salary, but he also had the opportunity to earn distribution rights based on goals that we had outlined in his performance. And those goals were tied to revenue and profitability, which is so, so key. I think I talk about that in, in the the last solo episode that I did where, you know, if you're delegating the day-to-day -day management of a business to anyone other than yourself as an owner, you really, really need to make sure that they're incentivized to 
manage the profitability and not just manage growing the revenue. Anyways, um, this again was not like the perfect way to get into business. Like, you know, I, I think we really, you know, struggled with, and I think there was some ego, you know, in the way for us, right? Like, you know, do we really want to ask someone else to do this? Do we really want to not own a hundred percent and not have, you know, the, the option or the opportunity to own a hundred percent of our business? Um, looking back on it, I think it was one of the smartest things that that we ever did because it set all of this in motion and the things that I've already mentioned, the learning experience, the confidence, the financial resources, it's, it's what's put us in a position to, to get to where we are today, which is, as I've already mentioned, not anywhere near where so many other successful entrepreneurs, business owners, franchise owners are, but we're just getting started. Right. And, and that was, you know, what really set things in motion was us, being willing and open to saying, yeah, you know what? We may not be in a financial situation today to go do something like this on our own, but let's not let that stop us. Let's not give up on that. Um, let's let's keep kicking this around and see if we can, you know, find a way to do it. And so I go back to what I said earlier, whereas, you know, for a lot of people, if there's a strong enough will to get into business for yourself. And even though you may not yet be in a financial situation to do it all on your own, there very likely could be a way. Okay. Now, the way that we did it is not necessarily going to be the right way for someone else. I mean, if you take our example and how we did it, you do have to know people that have the the financial resources to be an investor and that are going to you know understand it right i mean i was fortunate that you know in this case luke had been in franchising he'd built a brand he'd sold it he had you know bought out another franchisee and and set up a pretty similar structure to what you know he was looking at doing with kelly and i um you know if you have people that may have the financial resources but don't you know understand an investment opportunity like this or or small business ownership or franchising like that could certainly um provide some or, or create some roadblocks but um so again our our way of doing it may not be exactly right for everyone but i hope it gives you at least an example of where there can be a way to make it happen. I mean, I was working with a, a younger husband and wife couple earlier this year, and they were in a very similar financial situation to where Kelly and I were. They weren't broke. They weren't, you know, in debt. They both had, you know, jobs with decent income. They had a little bit of money saved up, but they just weren't in a position where they were going to be able to qualify for an SBA loan on their own. They didn't have a bunch of money stashed away in retirement accounts or, or other investment accounts. And so, you know, they essentially went to a family member who had experience starting businesses, was a pretty you know, seasoned investor told them about what they were thinking about doing. And uh, the family member ended up giving them a small personal loan 
and co-signing on the SBA loan for them. Okay. So that's a different example, right? That's different than what Kelly and I did with our, our business partner, Luke, where Luke still owns a piece of that company, right? Always will, unless we were to agree to, to buy him out, which he would also have to agree to. Um, so in this other example, this, this other young couple, they obviously will have to pay back the money that the, I think it was their aunt, uh, lended to them. And that was essentially the money to use as the cash injection for the SBA loan, right? So the rest of the money is coming from SBA, but the, the aunt had to co-sign it for a couple of reasons. One, because they just weren't in a position where the SBA was going to improve, approve them for a loan on their own. But also, you know, they had to be transparent with the SBA to say, hey, we don't have the money for the cash injection, but we've got someone over here that's willing to lend it to us. So she co-signed on it, right? So, you know, they're responsible to pay the loan back to their aunt. They're responsible to make the business work so that they can, you know, make all their payments to the SBA and ultimately pay off that loan. So then she's no longer on the hook for it. But once all of that happens, they own 100% of, of their franchise business. So the point is, there's a lot of different ways to do it. And, you know, I hate seeing people that have the drive and the motivation, you know, get stuck just because a traditional funding option may not be available to them. All right. I'm not saying that that everyone needs to go get into business for themselves you know, even if they're not in a financial position to do so, I think there's plenty of people out there that would be better off if they started learning and researching and studying now, but focused on saving money and, you know, investing some money in other ways other than a business. So I'm not saying that this makes sense for everyone, but uh, I, I've seen, unfortunately, a lot of people that I believe would have gone on to be very, very successful franchise owners. And, you know, a, a traditional funding option wasn't available to them and and they kind of just got stuck in their in their tracks right there. So um, I hope this was helpful. Uh, this me kind of reca- recanting this whole story uh, or recounting, I should say, this whole story Um I think jogged an idea for for probably the next solo episode that I'll do, which is, you know, partnerships, right? Because, you know, like I just explained with Kelly and I, we have a business partner. He's still our business partner today, five and a half years later, and it's gone really well for us. And, and fortunately, it wasn't his first time partnering with someone. So, you know, he knew a lot of things, but um, I think there's a lot a lot that people need to think about when it comes to should I partner with someone in business? Who should I partner with in business? You know, so we've definitely learned some some things along those lines. So um, that might be a, a good future solo episode is to, you know, just share a little bit of what we've learned about partnerships, the do's, the don'ts, things to look out for, things to think about ahead of time. So um, don't know when, but but that'll probably be coming sometime in the future. And uh, also got some great interview episodes teed up to release here over the next couple of weeks. Some of them are already recorded in the bank. Others are scheduled for me to record over the the coming weeks. And uh, guys, if you if you haven't 
gone to my YouTube channel and subscribed, please do. Um, you know, we're putting all of the podcast up on YouTube and that's where you'll be able to see the video format of the podcast, not just the audio, but really trying to do more with short form educational type videos as well. So if you enjoy the podcast, if you get value from it, go to YouTube, subscribe, uh, share it with others. Really appreciate it. Um, appreciate all of you that tune in and listen. And, um, you know, if franchise ownership, something any of you want to learn more about or have a discussion with me about always, always happy to talk with people and, uh, and help in any way that I can, uh, my email website information, all that's in the the show notes. So easy to, to get connected with me from there. Um, all right. Thanks for tuning in. Go drop in and have a great rest of your day. That's a wrap. Thanks for joining me today and be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast so you'll know when a new episode is released. You can also check me out on my website at www.path2.com frdm.com. And if you want more information about franchising or just want to say hello, feel free to contact me at Wes at path, the number two frdm.com. Thanks again. Now go drop in.